You're listening to the Paradox Church Podcast. Paradox Church is a Jesus-centered community where our motto is, Come as you are, no perfect people allowed. For more information about our service times, location, and to get connected with us, please visit our website at www.paradoxchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, Father God, amidst all of the craziness that's going on, God, whether that be physical sickness, God, or exhaustion, or feeling overwhelmed by the stresses and the anxiety of life. Some of us walk in here today with relational stuff that's going on, God, that's so hard. And life is real, and it's messy, and we're broken, and we're hurting. But you, God, you see us, and you know us, and you want relationship with every single one of us. No matter what brought us here, God, you are the one who did. You have orchestrated things for us to be together here today, and we thank you, God. And I pray that we would be excited and open in anticipation, God, expecting you to speak, expecting you to engage our hearts, God, and bring life to our souls, to the place that feel lifeless and hopeless and dead and numb and like we're just going through the grind, God. Would you speak today? Because where you speak, God, there is life. So we commit ourselves to you in these moments and every day, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Well, um, I want to ask you a question this morning. Have, have you ever quit too soon? Yeah. Sometimes we quit too soon. Or maybe you've been watching a movie. Have you ever noticed how some of your favorite movies, like you, you watch with somebody else, like your parents, and you're just laughing up a storm? Maybe this is just me. And uh, no one else is laughing in the room. And you keep saying something like, oh, just, just wait for it, wait for it, it's getting better, the good part's coming. And then like three quarters through the movie, you're like, oh my gosh, I hope, I hope that it's coming still, you know, because no one has laughed at all. Uh, sometimes, though, the longer you wait, the more you stay in something, the better it gets. And nowhere have I seen this principle played out than when I have been backpacking. I love talking about these trips. God always does something. He challenges me whenever I get away and do a backpacking trip. Um, recently, in the, within the last couple of years, uh, I was doing some backpacking in Tennessee in the Great Smoky Mountains, one of the worst experiences of my life. <laughs> um, and then uh, I brought some other pictures of a, from a place called Kalar. Provincial Park up in uh, northern Ontario, but I wanted to show you some of the amazing views that are only available. I always say that when you're backpacking, it's like, man, you ever, you ever see the, the, the front of those travel catalogs, and it's like a gorgeous beach, and you're the only person on it, but when you get there, right, it kind of fails to live up to that because there's people everywhere, and, you know, the beach is disgusting, and <laughs> it's full of tourists everywhere. Not that you're a tourist, of course, um, but sometimes it doesn't live up to our expectations, and I'm hoping we can, uh, we can throw up these videos to show just what you can expect, because backpacking to me is this place where you can't, like, it is the, the, the front page of the traveling uh, brochure and now I'm just, I'm in full killing time mode right now. Hey, there it is. <laughs> okay. Um, so here's, this, is, this is from Killarney uh, Provincial Park in Canada. And man, it was gorgeous. I, I sat up there eating my weird thing called soup-ish, I think, that you had to warm up uh, once you got to the top. And, but it was breathtaking. Uh, it was an amazing view. Here's another one from a, 
from, I believe, Killarney. Yeah, there it is. Doesn't that look relaxing up there? Chilling on top of the world. Got my feet up. Oh, yeah, that's life, right? Um, here's another one from, from Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Absolutely breathtaking views. Uh, but here's the thing, right? Whether it's in another person's relationship or Instagram, some of us, or, or even just our own expectations, some of us have a picture in our minds of what it's going to look like, of what it's going to feel like, what it's going to be like when we get there, when we have that relationship. Sometimes we even say that was, that's the dream. That's our hashtag relationship goal. But then we get in the relationship, or we look at the relationships in our lives, and sometimes it feels a little bit more like some of these pictures that I took. Same trips, all right? Weeds and trees everywhere, can't see a stinking thing. I don't even know how I got through this, all right? <laughs> it's like, I think it, they're just anticipating that you lose a lot of weight before. Now, remember that picture where my feet were up and I was relaxing before? That's at the top of this mountain. Truth bomb. I couldn't walk, all right? Like this. I just sat down and I'm like, this is, this is the place I'm going to stay now because <laughs> I'm done. Imagine walking up. That, and, and when you're backpacking too, it's not just you walking up that. That's bad enough. You got like 40 pounds on your back or more. It's like, oh my gosh, why did I choose to do this? Okay. <laughs> But that's a lot of times more the reality when it comes to our lives and specifically our relationships, right? We have a vision in our mind for our marriage, for our ideal spouse, for what our kids were supposed to come out like, right? And instead they came out little demons. <laughs> We've got the relationship goal picture. But then we find ourselves with 40 pounds on our back, trudging up a mountain going, supposed to be a lot different. Some, some of you had a picture of what church was going to be like today. <laughs> Here we are. So often we, we live our lives though, right? Whether it is our marriage or our kids or our family or even, let's, let's be honest, right? We just joked around about church. How many of us have this picture in our, in, our, in our minds, though, about what church relationships should be like? Maybe you've heard these great stories like, oh, so thankful for my church family. But you have been hurt. You've been let down. You've been disappointed. You feel like it's hard. There's hard work ahead. Or maybe in, just in, in your friendships with people, right? How I many of you are like, man, I'm such a better friend to the people in my life than anyone is for me. How can I get a friend like me? You know, <laughs> how can I have that? Because we often have the summit in our mind, but all we have in our sight is the climb. That's all we can see. See, it's all we can feel. And stuff, the reality is, the truth about life is that stuff gets hard. Things come up. Things often don't feel the way you thought it would feel, and we don't see what we don't see, especially when we look at the, at the beautiful picture, the summit, is all of the hard work, what it took to get there. We take all of that stuff for granted and think that maybe there's an escalator up the top to the, the Great Smoky Mountains, right? It doesn't work like that. We don't, we don't see it. We don't ever see the path. And we start out these relationships the way that everybody does, right? We love the for better part. No, nobody ever is in the for better part. 
And they're like, yeah, but I don't know. Things are good, but I don't know about this friendship. I don't know about this church. I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe things aren't so good in the spiritual. No, when things are going good, it's the, it's the hard stuff, right? That hits us over the head and, and knocks us down and knocks the wind out of us. And, and suddenly the summit is a lot further. It's a lot harder away. And that's when we start to go, I don't know. I don't, I'm tired of the fight. I'm tired of walking up this hill. I'm tired of there being more incline around every single corner. I can't even see the end. In, I, I'm just, I'm done with it. I'm over it. I'm tired of this conversation. I'm out. Sometimes things don't end up the way that we hoped that they would. Sometimes they don't look the way that we hoped that they would. I remember being a kid, right? Uh, how many of you grew up in the 80s and you remember the Crossfire commercial? Remember that Crossfire commercial, right? Where it's like, there, I kid you not, this commercial was mind-blowing. All right, There were two dudes floating around in outer space, circled around by a ring of fire, in an arena of fans cheering them on as they shoot these little marbles at each other and everything. And I, I remember being a kid and I was like, I want that. I want that. There it is again, right? I want that. Okay? I want that. And I don't know what as a kid you think is going to happen. It's like you're going to open the box and you're going to levitate into outer space or something. But like, <laughs> then you get the game and it's this cheap plastic gun, and you shoot these little tiny BBs at each other. And it's not even fun because your little sister cries about it, you know? <laughs> she leaves all of a sudden. And then you're left with a broken gun, broken relationships going, man, this was not what I expected. This is not what I hoped for. This is not what I signed up for. Maybe it's in your marriage. Things are not supposed to end this way. You're struggling. You never thought that you'd end up here could be a friendship where you've lost a friend and, and, and you're, just, you're, you're dealing with the loss. You go, I, I miss that, you know? I don't know why they, they, they don't see it. See what's going on. Maybe you've been hurt by the church. You haven't gone to a church in years until today. And you're here and you're like, man, it, it's talking about this commitment stuff, right? Stuff doesn't play out the way that we want it to all the time. Today we're talking about that. Commitment in relationships. And specifically, there's this word. It's called covenant keeping. Y'all want to say covenant? Covenant. Y'all are really, really on top of things. It's good. Covenant is this word for, it's a biblical word. It's not one that we throw around all the time. You know, like we, it's like, I make a covenant with you that I will come back later on. Or, you know, no, we don't really use covenant a whole, a whole lot, but it's a biblical word. It's a very important word. For us, as we pursue Christ-centered relationships, we have to talk about this idea of covenant keeping. Now, I want to start out with a few caveats. I don't normally do this, but I want to address some of the pain that I believe is in a room this size before we even get going on the outset. So anytime you start to feel shame, anytime you start to feel attacked, or you're wondering, like, I don't know, is he saying, let's come back to this? And let's just go, all right, it's, it's not as much about what I'm saying here today as what God is saying to you. Because this 110% is a safe place for every single one of us, broken, flawed, imperfect people, to come, be loved, accepted for who we are, right where we are, by a God that knew all that already and wants to be in relationship with you where there is healing and wholeness and acceptance and belonging. You're welcome here, all right? Wherever you're at, 
whatever has happened in the past. I know that a topic like commitment in relationships is hard, right? I'm, I'm not standing up here thinking that everybody's relationship, especially because we're in church, that pain doesn't exist out there, that life isn't messy. No, no, it's messy. It's broken. It's hard. I, if anything, to be honest with you, I think I see it even more close up than many of you do. Because it's, it's all around us. It's all around us in this room. It's all around us out there. I see it all the time. I know this is hard. It's messy. It's painful. And a lot of times, it's not black and white. And I wish it was. I wish there were clear answers when it comes to commitment in relationships. But sometimes there's just not. It's definitely not easy. Here's the second thing I want to say to every single person out there. When it comes to commitment, especially a committed relationship like marriage, I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry to you. And here's why. Many times, the church in particular has used this teaching to keep people in harmful relationships far too long because we've wanted people to, to say, no, no, it's, I'm, I'm not, God hates divorce. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to. And so we stay in something that's abusive or unhealthy and toxic, and, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And to you today, I want to say, I'm sorry. If you are in any sort of abusive relationship, I want to say to you that you have permission and freedom to get out of that relationship. That is not an application of what we're talking about today. Okay, I'm sorry for the many times that this has been taken and applied inappropriately. Here's the third thing. I know that this has not been lived out perfectly in this room by any one of us. And to all of you, I, I want to invite you today to look forward and not look backwards. As I said before, there's no perfect people allowed here. None of us have lived perfectly what God has called us to live out. I don't want to beat people up today. I don't, want to, I don't want to tell you that your past should be different or should have been different. What I do want to, want to do is I want to stir your faith towards a different future, not give shame and condemnation because you should have had a different past. Okay? I'm calling us to a greater future, a different future than what we maybe have experienced. Shame is not from God. And the only thing you get to do anything about is the rest of your life. So today, your story starts today. I'm inviting you to start today, to not spend all kinds of time feeling bad or, or shamed or judged about something that happened in the past. Let's start today. I want to guarantee you something at the outset here today, too. Not every relationship in your life will be a covenant relationship. And we're going to unpack that word covenant here in a little bit. Not every relationship in your life is going to be a covenant relationship. But here's the guarantee. I guarantee you the best relationships in your life will be covenant relationships. That's what we miss out on. The covenant side of things we miss out on when we quit too soon. When we don't say, this is my marriage goal, I'm going to give that everything I have. I'm going to pursue covenant in not just marriage, but in all of my relationships, in family, in friendship, in the church. What if covenant became our goal, our vision, the thing that we were pursuing, that we didn't get allowed to beat us up for the past, but we said that's the future that we're running toward? I guarantee you, you would have every bit of the relationship goals that are lying in our hearts together. I want to start in Matthew 19 today. 
verses three to six. Um, and this is one of those hard, this is one of those hard parts of the Bible, right? Where I know, like, this is not necessarily something that I'm, I, I just stand up here and I'm like, you know what I can't wait to do is give a message about commitment and, and marriage, divorce me, so much fun, right? It's not, it's, it's not fun. It's hard, right? And I know that y'all aren't necessarily looking forward to hearing this either, but this is one of the things that we're, one of the places we have to start. This is Jesus talking in Matthew 19. It says, and Pharisees came up to him, being Jesus, and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So there are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together. Let no man separate. What God has joined together, let no man separate. And I think there's something about the character of each of these contained in this verse. The first thing that I notice is this. God joins together. God joins people together. God brings unity. God brings relationship. Full, loving, perfect relationship. But people separate. Many times there's separation and God ends up getting blamed as if he's the one that's bringing division. Sometimes we see this in our relationships. We see this in church where there seems to be division and separation in the name of God. Let me tell you, if, if division is your definition of Christianity, it's not Christianity. God brings people together. God brings unity. Our God unites. And what God unites, we have a spiritual enemy that seeks to divide that wants to bring division. It's one of Satan's favorite strategies to bring division. Why? Because where he can divide, he can destroy. He wants to divide. He wants to get people separate. He wants to get people fighting, disagreeing, focused on distractions so that he can bring destruction. Destruction is from the enemy who seeks to kill and steal and destroy. Just the other day, I was watching my favorite cartoon with my kids. Word Girl. Anybody Word Girl fans? Wow. Every single one of you have the opportunity to be a Word Girl fan. It's, it's on PBS, all right? And it's amazing. Here's what happened the other day. Word Girl is fighting against, in my opinion, the best villain on Word Girl. Her name is Victoria Best. And she thinks that everything she does is the best. And she realizes that the best strategy for her to defeat Word Girl is for her to get, is, is for Victoria Best to get Word Girl fighting with her friends and the people that are trying to help her. So Victoria Best starts, starts messing around and, and like she, she drops some, some little confusion in there and people start getting misunderstandings and, and distracted and they start fighting and bickering and, and they're at each other because she knows that if she can get them fighting, if she can get them distracted, right? If she can get them to turn on themselves, then who's not going to be fought? The real enemy. She's going to be able to do whatever she wants to do. So she soars a little bit of division in there. Maybe you need a little bit more grown-up example here today from me. <laughs> you look at things like presidential primaries from any party, right? You have eight, nine, ten people all vying for the same goal, and they're trying to walk this very thin line of not destroying each other, 
in the process so they can fight the real enemy on the other side, right? Because the other side, they're just going to sit there silently and watch as everybody starts to beat up on and bicker and disagree and divide over little things. And they're going to go, yeah, you know what? I think we could use that. Thank you. Thank you for that. Division will always bring destruction, and it's never from God. Our God brings together. Our God unites. I love the way that this plays out. It's like we're, we're called into this vision of relationships and freedom, and Galatians 5 puts it this way. It says that we were called to freedom only. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Isn't this where a lot of division happens, right? I'm free to do that. You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. I've always. You never. And so we go our own ways, focus on our own selves, do our own thing, and in the process, we get further and further away from each other. Paul is saying in Galatians, hey, yes, you are called to freedom. Use that freedom as an opportunity not to serve yourself, but to look out for one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, right? Now he's going to start getting real practical. This, here, here are the seeds of destruction. Here's what often brings division, specifically in relationships with one another. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul is saying you're called to freedom. And what does freedom look like? It's not what you would typically think, right? Or isn't that list many of the things that we would typically say, our culture anyway, would say, hey, we're free. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. Paul says, no, 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 you're called to freedom. So don't do these things. That brings destruction. That brings division in your relationships, and you're called to freedom, so serve one another in love. I read this list, and honestly, it looks like a list of the characteristics and qualities of every dysfunctional family, marriage, church that I've ever seen. How many of us would say, you know, yeah, you know what, I've experienced this. I've experienced the effects of sexual immorality. I've experienced the effect of drunkenness. I've experienced the effects of jealousy, fits of anger, divisions, rivalries. That is not a healthy relationship for a healthy church, family, relationships, or marriage. Does that look like your experience, though? And if it does look like your experience, where does it look like your experience? What are you doing there? What are you focusing on? Are you using freedom as an opportunity to love one another See, if you're not, where is division starting to creep into your relationship? Where is division starting to creep into our church? Where is division starting to rear its ugly head in the form of freedom into your friendships or into your family? Division starts and destruction is the end. Is it causing you to lose sight? Is it making you want to give up? 
I've talked a little bit about having a vision or a word for an entire year before. It's called Roles and Goals. And my, like, God has just been using this in my life so much already. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3, I, just listen to the progression here, right? Where it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Other translations say every hindrance and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's all this stuff that will hold us back from our relationship goals, right? And we're supposed to lay those things aside, get rid of them, not have anything to do with them. Why? So that we can run the race, so that we can go forward into, the, into what God is calling us to, into the goodness that he has for us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, everybody say joy. Listen to what's joy, though. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. It's easy. It would have been easy for Jesus to grow weary and faint-hearted. There are times in our times together as a church family that I grow weary and faint-hearted. There will be times, the longer you are married, when you grow weary and faint-hearted in your family, with your kids, your friends. You're just tired of it. I don't want to go on anymore. I don't want to deal with this thing anymore. But if we fix our eyes on Jesus get rid of the other stuff. We can endure and run the race for what? For joy. For the joy that's set before us. And here's what that tells me. We may miss the joy at the end if we give up too soon. We might miss the joy. What if where things end up isn't where the end is? What if there's joy around that other corner? What if there's joy on the other side? It's true in every relationship, from, the French, from friendships to the church, right? What if there's joy that we have an enemy that's actually fighting against, saying, no, I never want you to experience that, Paradox Church. I don't want, I want to steal your story. I want to destroy your joy. I want to take your marriage. I want to take away from your, your life together as a church, your friendships. I want you to miss out. I want you to feel isolated. I want you to feel angry. Because there's joy that God has for us, and when we give up too soon, there are things that God wants for us that we never get to experience. It's a crazy, I don't think about that a whole lot, right? We typically think like, oh, God, whatever, God's will is going to be done. No, God has will. God has things he wants for every one of us, for our church, for our marriages, for our family. And sometimes we don't experience those things. Why? We give up too soon. I want to talk about three different approaches to relationships and marriage in the next few minutes. And much of this is going to be directed at romantic relationships, but as with every single week this series, I, I think that these, these principles can really and truly, I'm not just saying this, I'm not like throwing a bone out to y'all singles or anything. Like, I, I think that if we pursue covenant in our relationships, no matter what the relationship it will be one of the best relationships that you have, all right? 
So this is applicable to anybody. Going to be a little bit focused on marriage, though. Here we go. There's one. There's the first approach to uh, to marriage and relationships. And hang with me, right? Remember all the caveats, okay? First one, casual. Casual. Here's here's essentially the approach to this relationship. When we approach our relationships and our marriage from a casual standpoint, we're essentially saying, "Hey, when I'm in, I'm in. When I'm not, well, I'm not." And here's the crazy thing: the casual approach is basically saying that as is, I'm in it for as long as it's good for me. As long as something better doesn't come along, I'm in this. And once it does. I'm, I'm going to be out. I've, I've defined kind of a key statement for every one of these. Key statement for the casual relationship is if I feel like it, or we'll see what happens. This is our approach to actual people, to relationships. If I feel like it, or we'll see what happens. With your friendships, right? How many of you ever have ever been invited to something on Facebook, right? There's three options. Going, not going, or, oh, the casual favorite. Maybe. Interested. Thank you so much for that commitment. I, I will make sure to plan on you. I'm so glad that I took the time to say, right? We, we, we want to be able to say that. Well, maybe, and that's exactly what we're saying. Nobody actually wants to say this. We want to say, oh, I'm interested, because that sounds really nice. But re really what we're saying is, uh, if that's my best option, you know, like, <laughs> If I feel like getting out of the, up off the couch that day, uh, because, I don't know, the couch might be a better option than hanging out with you. That's what we're actually saying here. That's how it plays out for our friendships, right? In church, many times we think of where we go to church on a Sunday morning, or the church family that we're part of, as is really nothing more than where we choose to eat our fast food from throughout the week. Like, what? What does it matter to you, Dave, or anyone else, where I go or what I do? That is a casual relationship with the church. If I feel like it, if I'm here, I'm here. If I'm there, I'm there. If I'm nowhere, I'm nowhere kind of thing. This is the casual relationship. When it comes to marriage, what does a casual approach to marriage look like? We would often say, well, marriage is it's just not that big of a deal. I mean, like, I might get married. I might not get married. Marriage is just a piece of paper, really, anyway, so it doesn't really matter what I do in this area. It's very casual. What this approach, make, what the casual approach in marriage makes me think of is what we often say to our kids, and we're very well-meaning about this, right? We often will tell our kids, you can be anything when you grow up. That's a lie. <laughs> it's a lie. No, you cannot. <laughs> so many levels of deception going on. Here's the first one, though, right? And, and I actually do try to say this with our kids. You, you can be anything, but not anything you want to be. You can be anything you practice. Because the truth is that where you go, where you end up in life, is not just something that happens to you. It's, it's a direction that you set out in. You can practice. You can be anything you practice. Whenever we have a casual approach to marriage, here's the thing. It's, it's going to start getting a little bit real, all right? We often also have a casual approach to sex. Kids still in here? All right, because here we go, you know? <laughs> Told you about Journey. <laughs> so we're going to play this out. Here's, here's how many really, and again, I'm not going to say that I don't understand it. In a lot of ways, this approach makes sense. 
makes all the sense in the world in our culture to do things this way. But here's what usually ends up happening. We're, we're, we're in a relationship with someone. We're committed enough to maybe start sharing an address, okay? That takes a certain level of commitment because very few of us are just walking around like, hey, I don't have commitments with people and anybody that wants to move into my house or know where I live can feel free. No, it's, it's a certain level of commitment for you to say, hey, why don't we move in together? And that starts to happen, right? So there's a level of commitment there. And again, no shame here. We're just describing reality. In many ways, this makes sense. It's convenient. It's economical. And some of us would even, would even say this is practice, right? It makes sense because it's practice for marriage. We're going we're gonna to practice. It's a trial run. If it doesn't end up working out, then we could just break up. Because marriage and relationship was no big deal in the first place, now the breakup is a whole lot less of a big deal. I'm not talking about emotionally. Those things can be big deals. Anytime we're in a committed relationship with anyone, it's a big deal emotionally, spiritually. But the practical implications of that, hey, no big deal. No harm done. No foul. The cycle repeats until eventually maybe you find the one, right? But then you, you, you go, hey, this is the one. We're going to move in together. We're going to get married. This time you get married. You're committed. And now things start to get rough again, right? Turns out that piece of paper was just a piece of paper after all. It didn't do anything magical in your relationship. It didn't create it. It didn't destroy it. It did nothing. And things get rough again. Here's where the practice comes in. What often ends up happening is that we practice for divorce more than we practice for marriage. Can you go anywhere you want to go in this life? Yes, but you can really only go where you've practiced. And so many times the casual approach to relationship ends up with us practicing stepping out of relationship not really ever connecting with a church family, not truly being vulnerable and known with the other people in our life, or not committing to a marriage because we just we want to be casual and we end up practicing for divorce and robbing ourselves of the commitment and the joy that was actually possible because we didn't want to get hurt. It happens all the time, and I think it could be a consequence of a casual approach to marriage. Some of our hurts in life are actually a consequence of this. And that is the part that God doesn't want for you. He doesn't want the hurt of the consequence of what we're practicing. He says, no, I want you to practice something else because I have something better for you. I have a better destination for you to go. Here's the second one. There's a contractual approach to marriage and relationships. The first one is casual. The contractual approach is we sign on the dotted line. Here is our agreement, right? And the key statement here I came up with is, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, right? We each play a part in this. So as I'm in as long as it's working for me. I'll do my part, but only if you're doing your part too, right? Only if you're meeting my expectations. Think about your friendships in life, right? Think about maybe your expectations or relationship with church. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do my part, but as long as I like what's going on. As long as Dave doesn't screw this up out here, you know? Like we, we, we have this contractual approach where we're both going to do our part. And as long as it's working for me, I'll continue to do what works for you. For years, I actually used to perform marriages this way. I would say, you know, we'd do the ceremony, and then I'd look at the couple, and I would say, now, 
let's go really get married, you know? And we'd run off to the back room with the, with the paper and we'd sign it and we'd go like, oh, now, that, now you're actually married. I don't do that anymore. Why? Because that's just the paperwork, right? Now, that's what, exactly what I say now. I'm like, all right, now we got a bunch of paperwork to do. That's not the real marriage. It's, it's just a contract. We sign them. It's a license. It's a contract. But the problem with a contract, if that's all a marriage or any relationship is at the end of the day, is what it's based on. And you know what every single contract that's ever been created is based on? Mutual distrust. That's why you need a contract in the first place, right? If you trusted someone, you'd spit in your hand and shake on it, right? You'd do a pinky swear and call it a day. And that's all. No, we come up with contracts. Why? Because I don't trust you. I don't trust that you're going to be out for my best interest. I think that you might hurt me at the end of the day. And I don't want to make myself vulnerable to the hurt that you are going to inflict on me. So we're going to come up with a contract that's going to define limits, responsibilities, what I'm responsible for, what you're responsible for, expectations. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what you're going to do. If you don't do what you're going to do, then I'm not going to do what I was going to do. And that's how we end up working in this. We see this with professional sports teams all the time. They have a contract. You pay me, I'll play. But so many of us take that into our everyday relationships, and not only that, but our most important ones. And we wonder why it doesn't work, because we're building relationships based on distrust in the contractual approach. So if we enter a marriage into, into a marriage and say, that's a contract, then as long as you live up to the agreed-upon terms, we have a deal, right? But if you don't live up to the agreed-upon terms, meaning you call me a name, you, you betray me, and again, all this stuff is real. I'm not saying it's no big deal. It's a big deal. M making yourself vulnerable, it's hard, and we come up with contracts because it hurts. It is real. It is a big deal. But if these things happen, or perhaps you don't make me happy, then I feel like since you broke the contract, now I'm not bound to the contract anymore, right? You didn't hold up your end of the bargain, so I don't have to hold up my end of the bargain either. There's this casual approach to marriage. There's a contractual approach to marriage, where as long as you're in, I'm in. And then there's a third one. It's called the covenantal approach. Everybody say covenant. Covenant, covenant all right? And here's, we're, we're, we're at the real, the real deal here. It's, it's almost like the triple dog dare you of approaches. How many of you remember the Christmas story, right? You go from, from the dare to the double dare, and then a slight breach of etiquette, right into the triple dog dare. This is a slight breach of etiquette, and we're getting right into the triple dog dare of approaches, a covenant approach. A covenant approach is not based on mutual distrust. It's not temporary. It's not motivated by selfish preservation. Instead, a covenant is based on mutual commitment. It's an unconditional commitment motivated by a sacrificial love for the other. Let's talk about what covenant is. Most of us, like I said before, don't go around just using this all the time, so it's a little bit of a new word. Uh, it's not commonly used, but it's an important one that we have to understand for all of our relationships, but specifically, again, for church, for marriage. The word covenant comes from this Old Testament Hebrew word that I can't even pronounce. So I'm just going to say what it means, and it means cutting, which is odd, right? Don't you think that we would pick something that means like love or something like that, right? No, no, the word covenant comes from this word that means 
cutting. And see, in the Old Testament of the Bible, in ancient culture, uh, when you see a covenant established, there was always a shedding of blood. So in the Old Testament, two people are going to enter into a covenant. They would literally take an animal generally, maybe a bull, maybe seven rams or something like that, cut them in half. I know, it's gross. Saying with me, all right? We'd cut them in half and walk around this, this animal carcass typically seven times. It was, it was like a, a number of completion. And what they were saying in this is, is, may it be done to me as it has happened to this animal if I don't hold up my end of this bargain. And it's not just a contract. This is a commitment to relationship of sacrificial love where there is a cost to the people involved. They're essentially saying what happened to, to, to this bullshit happened to me if I don't live by this oath. It's a covenant, a shedding of blood, giving my word that is a commitment to relationship that I will stick by. And if you go on, there, there are all of these portraits throughout the Old Testament. If you go to an Old Testament Hebrew wedding, there would often even be, like I don't think that most brides would be too cool with this, but the priest would take two hands and prick the fingers or the hands of each participant, drawing blood and then bonding those two together because blood represents life. It's the lifeblood, and it's this mixture of saying your lives are now together. Blood has been shed. A covenant has been entered into. You are now connected in a way that cannot and does not come undone. The, the, the imagery would continue, actually, um, with a word that I introduced to some of you this morning in our volunteer huddle called hupa. Everybody say hupa. Yeah, all right. So it's, it's, uh, modern translation is hubba hubba, all right? No, it's actually... <laughs> You'll see why in a moment. Because after the marriage ceremony, the two would do what I believe most married couples want to do. And that is get away for a few minutes. And usually it was a few minutes, all right, to hoopa together. Now, I, I said that this is gross, all right? Hang with me. Grossness almost over, okay? Because at least in theory, right, you have two virgins coming together on the wedding night, getting away together, and becoming one in such a way that, here it comes, blood is shed, which makes them one, seals a covenant, a holy union, where two now, through the shedding of blood, become one together, a committed relationship where there is, there, there's not changing to it. Awkward. Okay. <laughs> We're done. Here's why I bring all this up, all right? Why do I bring all this gross, awkward stuff? When you talk about blood being shed, it's to illustrate that marriage is a big deal. Marriage matters to God. The act of lovemaking matters to God. Marriage and sex, which are good gifts for joy, all right? Hear me saying that, for joy. It's not supposed to be gross or not talked about or awkward. Like, it's given to us, but it's a big deal. It's part of a covenant relationship that brings people together to, as one in a committed relationship. Now you'd say, all right, I'm not married, right? Dave, you said that you were going to talk to me. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says this, that marriage should be honored by all. Everybody say all. And the marriage bed kept pure. 
Marriage should be honored by all. What does this mean? And again, please hear me. I'm saying this not because it's comfortable for me or a lot of fun, but because, as your pastor, I want, I want you to experience the joy that God has for you. I want you to see the summit of relationship goals. I don't want you to get lost and quit in the midst of the jungly, climby, rocky parts of life because it will come. It will happen. But for the joy set before us, when we honor marriage, when we see it as a covenant, it means that if you're a kid, you honor the covenant of marriage. It means if you're a teenager with raging hormones, you honor the covenant of marriage. If you're 22 and single and you still have your needs, you honor the covenant of marriage because it should be honored by all. If you're 31, you're waiting, you're dating, and there's this deep desire inside of you for mating, right? <laughs> honor the covenant of marriage. If you're 47 and divorced, you're not done. The marriage bed should be kept pure because marriage matters to God. And the gift of lovemaking matters to God. It's a covenant. And this is why I believe that it matters with all of my heart, like how we talk about all of this stuff. Because oftentimes, the way that we talk about sex in church just leads people to shame. And we just say, no, no, don't do that. Don't touch that. Run far away. And that's not God's heart for it at all. God's heart is for you to experience joy, the relationship goal, the summit why? So why do we wait? Why don't we grab that good gift? Because something better is coming. We wait because something is better is coming. I just got back from Disney World with my kids. And let me tell you, I've never seen people less committed to the fact that something better was coming. Every, they've got their little dollar in their hands and it's burning a, a hole in their pocket. And every piece of garbage that they see with Mickey Mouse on it is the thing they have to have now. They can't live without it anymore. They're like, yeah, but you, you just saw something so much better. If we literally walk 10 steps the other way, you'll be happier. No! I can't wait. I need it now. So good. No, if we wait, something better is coming, right? So instead of our, telling our kids, no, 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 what we say is, wait, wait, wait. Why? Because something better, something holy is something is coming. Something God-honoring is coming. Something special is coming. I want to tell you, just in complete vulnerability, right? Gwen and I, just so that you know, some people do do this. We were not perfect, but we did wait. And we weren't that great at it at first, okay? I, I'll leave it at there. I know, gross threshold, so so crossed, all right? I'll take the blame, okay? <laughs> it's on me. Waiting can be hard to do, okay? But I can tell you that over now, over 15 years, something better has, is, was coming, right? <laughs> Didn't even mean that to be funny. Reset, all right? <laughs> right? All right, here's it, yeah. Here's the point in all of this. Yeah, all right. <laughs> here's the point in all of this. Marriage, church, friendships, covenant will often bring out the best. Covenant is designed to bring out the best in you. But it often does it by bringing out the worst in you. 
And it's almost like a detox, right? It's a, it's a relational detox where the worst stuff comes out. And in this, in, in this, because this is a come-as-you-are place, because marriage is, is a no-perfect-people-allowed relationship, because none of us are perfect, now we can bring it out and deal with it and stay committed and in it together so that we actually do get to experience joy, not only together, but as people. We get to be better people in the end. I wanted to finish with Galatians 5, to 23. It says, but the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions, joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, great gentleness of heart, strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they're meant to be limitless. Have you ever seen a relationship that was exemplifying limitless amounts of these qualities that was struggling? No. I mean, think about it. Love, sacrificial love, looking out for the other person, laying down your life and your rights. Joy, you're actually having fun together. You're looking for joy together. Peace, you will actually have so much less conflict, so much less disruption. If you go after covenant in your relationships, you'll be a peacemaker in your relationships. Patience, these things take time. Goodness, faithfulness, don't quit, stay in it. Gentleness. Covenant relationships resist the urge to do lasting damage because you're not throwing things aside. You're not treating people as, as just something to be used up and tossed out. No, it's valuable. They're fragile. Self-control. The choice is yours. So we get to choose what we're going to practice. And we're all practicing. Are we practicing covenant in our most important relationships? I guarantee, like I said to begin, not all of your relationships will be covenant relationships in life. We live in a broken, imperfect world. There's hurt. There's pain. There's divorce. There's brokenness. But if we pursue it, if we practice covenant, I guarantee all of your best relationships in life will come out of that place. And I know, like I said, that some of the things that we're dealing with here today um, are hard, and it's hard to hear a message like this. And I want to I step away from the relationships that we can see here today and go to one of the biggest problems that I see is, is a relationship with God. So many of us don't understand a covenant. We're not able to do that because our, we have this, this misunderstanding of the character and nature of God. Some of us think that it's, it's casual when it comes to God. I do whatever I want. It doesn't really matter because, hey, what, you know, God's going to forgive me anyway. So it's this casual approach. And it leads to a place that's not the fullness of everything that God has for us. Some people, though, and I, I think this is more people than not, we think of our relationship with God as the contractual approach, right? I do what I'm supposed to do. God does what he's supposed to do. I be a good person. I read my Bible. I go to church. I tithe and give away my money. Then God blesses, right? Things aren't, I, I don't have suffering. I don't have pain. I don't have hardship. No, Here's the thing. We don't do what we're contractually supposed to do anyway in that. None of us do. Absolutely none of us. The truth about God is that it's not casual. It's not contractual. It's a covenant in relationship. In the Old Testament, you would see a, there, there's this one story in particular where freedom comes to people that are in slavery. And it happens as God says, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. We're going to live in relationship. And it's not because of who you are or what you've done, both good or bad. It's going to be because you listen and you believe me and you take a lamb and cut it 
in half and smear this blood over the door of your home. And this is how you walk out of a life of slavery and into a life of freedom and a relationship with God that brings fullness and joy. It's a covenant. It's what, it was called the Passover. This, this, this thing that, that happened way back when the, the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. And God said, I want you to take the blood of these lambs and smear it over your door. And at night, there's going to be something awful, something tragic that's going to happen. Every firstborn is going to be put to death. And you're going to have your freedom. But this angel of death is going to pass over you and your house and your family if you were in covenant relationship with me. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that's exactly what he looked back to and said, now it's fulfilled in me. I am, maybe you've heard this, this before. Jesus says, I am the lamb of God. You don't have to do this Old Testament thing of sacrifices anymore because I'm going to give the sacrifice. I'm going to be broken. I'm going to be cut. My blood is going to be shed. And when it gets smeared over you and your household, you pass from death and slavery into life and freedom because you live in a covenant relationship with me. And aren't you thankful? Aren't you glad that God doesn't approach us casually? He doesn't approach our sin casually. He doesn't look at us in terms of the contract and when we fail and mess up, which we do, go, oh, I'm not, I don't have any responsibility to you anymore. No, he takes that upon himself. And there's nothing that we could say or do that changes it. Romans 8 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I call you forward. Whether you, when, if you need prayer today, if you've never entered into that kind of relationship with God before, if you've never even thought about it, if right now you're dealing with the effects of a casual or contractual relationship in your life and you want to bring that relationship to God and say, we need, we need you, we want to make this covenant relationship. The beauty is that, like I said in the beginning, it's not about the past anymore. We're made new in Jesus. And that's what we're celebrating when we take communion. I want to say, if you have stepped into that covenant relationship with God, you're made new. The past is gone. The new has come. You get to live in a full life, free relationship with him. And that is what we celebrate when we take communion. I want to invite you forward to, to take the bread, which Jesus says in Matthew 26, is his body broken for every one of, of us. He says, take and eat. This is my body. It was broken for you. And then in the same way, he takes the cup. And when he had given thanks, he says to his friends, those people that he's entered into relationship with, imperfect though they may be and the way we may be. It says, drink of it all you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, the new promise. It's not going anywhere. It can't be changed. God put his own son on the line, allowed him to be cut and broken so that we could walk into covenant relationship with him. As the band plays this song, I want to invite you forward to pray, to enter into that relationship or to celebrate it in communion. Father God, 
I thank you that you did what we cannot, that you love us too much to let us stay where we are. You love us enough to fight for us. You love us enough to come and get us, God, to sacrifice yourself, to take the hit, to be broken for us, God. And I pray that as we enter into that freedom, that there would be healing and wholeness there for us too, God, and we would be able to take so many of the hits that are out there in our relationships, God. And that we would be, be able to fix our eyes on you for joy, because it was for joy, and our, your joy was us, God. Your joy was us, and it's what enabled you to endure the cross, put up with shame, and it can get us through any trial, any suffering, any persecution, God. So today we fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, God. And we trust you and we love you and we thank you for your sacrifice that made a covenant relationship with you possible. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Paradox Church Podcast. If you want more information about us or to just get connected, please visit our website at www.paradoxchurch.com. We would love to hear from you.